Trigger warning, Death and Friends is not a podcast for the light of heart. Many dark and serious subjects will come up. Listener discretion is advised. Look, you guys, real talk for a second. This episode is going to be a huge bummer. The biggest. So we thought, instead of starting with a quote or something more sad, we'd open with a sort of joke. Here's a brand new segment we're calling Missing the Fucking Mark. If you've never been to Boston, Massachusetts. Congratulations to you. Yes, true. But also, if you've never been, then quick little historical landmark trivia. In downtown Boston, near the center of the city, there's a bronze memorial in a bricked circle. The memorial is for the citizens of Ireland during the Great Hunger, and it stands both as a mark to remember the famine and also as a tribute to the diaspora that brought a lot of Irish to Boston's shores, my family included, actually. Mm. It's an interesting memorial with two depicted families, one starving and the other thriving after escaping Ireland for America. Oh, that sounds kind of... Mm, no, <laughs> no, 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 big no. Yeah, it's been criticized a lot because guess what, guys? The starving Irish immigrants didn't thrive here. What they actually experienced was poverty and discrimination. But it gets worse. Because of course it does. Of course. What the builders probably... Maybe. Hopefully forgot yeah. was that the memorial's in the middle of a town square in a modern city. And so it is visible in a near 360-degree view from any of the city's, like, ten... No, no, no. no. Yeah. Please tell me they didn't. No. They did. They absolutely oh. did. That memorial, a special tribute to the actually starving people of Ireland, is nearly surrounded by restaurants. You know, those things we eat in Nash? Yeah. Th- those things. Yeah. The things we mm-hmm. go, we're like, hey, instead of cooking at home, yeah. let's go to this place. Yep. Nash, how in the actual fuck? (laughs) I don't know exactly, but I imagine that the designers were finishing up selecting the site and the arrangement of the figures, and someone was just like, Jesus, I'm hungry. Are you hungry? I don't know why, but I'm suddenly just famished. Let's go to that Chipotle over there. And absolutely (laughs) none of them gave it a second thought. Yikes. Yikes, 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 yikety yikes. (laughs) And hey, look, you guys, surprisingly... Shocking. Did you, uh, did you hear about this? Yeah. Ireland was not real fucking hyped about it. <laughs> they were sure as shit not, yeah. But thankfully for Boston, I guess, probably, probably not. not. But anyway, <laughs> Ireland has bigger beef with another, somehow more fucking clueless nation, apparently run by supervillains, which brings us to today's episode, one part of a probably eons-long topic. Welcome to the British Empire on their absolutist bullshit, part one. All right, here we go. Death comes for us all. You might as well make it your friend. Your friend with us on death and friends. Hey, Skeleton Army, this is Death and Fritz. Hey, Angel. This, this is Nash. This is Nash. I read this, your line. This is, this is Nash. <laughs> well, Nash, let's start painting the picture. <laughs> oh, We're going to need this energy because this episode's going to be rough. Yeah. In order to properly cover this topic, we have to talk really quickly about Irish-Anglo relations. It's been in the news quite a bit lately because Brexit was and is the dumbest thing to happen to humanity since we let that random woman turn a nice painting of Jesus into a derpy potato person. And also Mm. because it's making an unholy mess of the Irish border. 
The fun thing about Brexit is that part of the Isle of Ireland, the northern part, conveniently called Northern Ireland, is a country that is part of the United Kingdom, and the remaining parts of the island, the free autonomous Republic part, is also conveniently named, here, ready for this? Yes. The Republic of Ireland. What? Or just, here's a crazy one, Ireland. What? Honestly, and that part is the most functional member of the <laughs> EU. <laughs> just the most. Uh, it's the weirdest. It's the weirdest. Ireland doing the most. On June 23rd, 2016, voters in the entire United Kingdom got together and decided, hey, what if we took a quick second and set in motion giving xenophobia a world stage? Boris Johnson seems like a neat dude that wouldn't lie to us, right? And they decided to leave the EU. The Leave campaigners got a lot of ground saying shit like, Britain should be for the British, as if the British didn't spend the last... Um, let me check my notes here. All of human history, making the entire globe British. Ah, uh, yes. Which brings us right to Ireland, actually. In 1997, then-British PM Tony Blair issued an official public apology to the entire nation of Ireland for the Great Hunger. Nothing says, sorry guys, our bad, like a ribbon commemorating the time he killed a bunch of their own citizens. Yeah. And shockingly, well, not really, the former PM got a lot of shit for apologizing because, and this is a quote, accepting responsibility for the Great Hunger would continue the culture of Irish victimhood. No. But hey, <laughs> that's just recent Irish Anglo history. In this podcast, we normally do not talk about modern stuff, partially because it's a history podcast and partially because we do not like things that make us sad. That does say a lot about the things that actually make us sad. Yeah. Versus the other contents of this podcast. <laughs> Not death, though. Just... No. Capitalism. Just mostly, yes. This is the key part of the story we're telling today, so we figured we'd mention it. But let us go way back before ye old St. Patrick got rid of all those snakes in Ireland. Actually, snakes have never been in Ireland. Unless... Um, excuse me? They're metaphorical snakes, which case they never left. I'm sorry. Uh, Ireland doesn't have snakes? Is that an actual thing? Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real thing that Ireland does not have snakes. Uh, but think more like Ice Age reasons and fewer really aggressive guy who does not like snakes but does like religion reasons. But now uh, I'm thinking there's definitely at least one snake on that island. Like maybe at a zoo, like there was a pet. And now uh, I'm wondering. Nash, focus. I'm wondering what the first snake on the entire island was thinking when he got there. Like Nash, how did this theoretical snake get into Ireland? Nash. Was the decision to re-snakeify Ireland taken lightly? Jesus Christ, Nash. I'm sorry. I'll Google it later. Okay. So, hmm. like most shit, this mess really starts with Henry El Ocho. Specifically, as the Irish poet Rafferty puts it, the bollocks of Henry VIII. His nuts. Yes. Yes, his nuts. Ye old royal nutsack. Hmm. Yes, Henry the Ocho is the English king who is famous for having six wives and just raging fuckboy energy. Just, huge. holy shit. I wouldn't let her Irish at the end. It's fine. See, here's the thing. He wants a divorce, right? The Catholic Pope won't give it. That's who. Yeah. So he invents Church of England, and he grants himself a divorce. Nice. If only things were that simple. But things were already complicated in Ireland when Henry became king. With the whole country being sort of under English rule, but with their own appointed Irish lords. But as a nation of Catholics, they were sort of not thrilled with the whole forced conversion thing. Like, 
a little like the ancient Egyptians when Akhenaten moved the capital away, most of Ireland just sort of didn't. Yeah. But England couldn't really accept that, so they imported converted Englishmen and Scotsmen into the north of Ireland to help change it, which sort of becomes important much later. Yeah, I'm sure that's not going to be like a huge issue at all. Yeah, I love it when history gives a super obvious foreshadowing. Moving a little quickly through time, because there's just a whole lot of shit to cover. Mm. There's a war. It ends in 1690 at the Battle of Boyne with the defeat of the Irish Catholic King James II to English King William of Orange. <laughs> uh, turns out angry oranges are shitty in any way, at any time. Always. Not the YouTube personality. <laughs> Protestantism rises, Ireland gets further brought into English dominion, and then we get to 1798. That's a big time jump. Yeah. <laughs> Ireland Ireland is, uh, I'm going to guess after 100 years, pretty over it. Over it. Yeah, they launch a full-scale rebellion to remove the English, but they are disconnected, and there's not a full union between Catholics and Protestants, and they get destroyed by an organized British army. Just Just destroyed. Poopy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. After the uprising in 1800, Britain dismantles the Irish Parliament to bring them to heel. They become ruled directly from London with very little representation of their own. And this is of particular importance to today's topic, which is the famine in the 1840s. But to give a quick bit of context for what comes later in Irish-Anglo relations, there's an armed uprising in Easter week 1916, Ireland taking advantage of the UK fighting in World War I to bid for their own freedom. <laughs> if you're going to do it, <laughs> what a time. Just wait for them to be busy doing other shit. I mean, it's historically, look, it's not a great look. Okay. No. Like, but then again, all of the UK's history is historically not a good look. Like I understand it guys, but probably this wasn't the war to be like, we're neutral. Is this the world is at war? <laughs> yeah. Little do the English know. <laughs> Pass. Although I do get hating someone that much. <clears throat> oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. So begins the Irish Republican Brotherhood, the IRB, which would ultimately become the IRA, who everybody knows. Yes, yes, which would eventually become the IRS. Oh, God. The 1980s pro wrestler <laughs> who used to tag team with the Million Dollar Man, Teddy Biasi. Perfect. Thank you so much, everybody, for listening to <laughs> Random Wrestling Facts with Angel. <laughs> Woo! There's that no jingle that for that. No jingle. jingle. Please, God, no. In all seriousness, though, why the change from brotherhood to, I guess, army, right? Right. So Irish Republican Brotherhood is a rebel organization trying to get the English out of Ireland. The They become the IRA, the Irish Republican Army, because they're an extension of the Dale, the first Irish parliament. So they're legally recognized as the, well, legally in Ireland, recognized as the first government. The British move in with heavy artillery to crush the rebellion and place the entire country under martial law while they execute the leaders and sentence the participants to life in prison or internment camps. Their response to this is so brutal and violent that it actually changes the tide in Ireland, where before the rebels fighting for independence were in the minority, the vote after the uprising leads to the creation of Sinn Féin, the political party fighting for a free Irish Republic, and ultimately the creation of the aforementioned Dáil, the Irish Parliament, which was technically illegal and not recognized in Britain, but was a key move in the fight for Irish independence. Sinn Féin, together with the IRA, fight against the British until the Anglo-Irish Treaty is ratified in 1922. 1922! Industry is born in the Americas. and Bread. <laughs> I'm out of jokes. And Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon are just uh, getting yeah. it up. Howard Carter and Lord Carnarvon are found sodomizing each other inside a cave in Egypt. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Too much? You know. Too much. Listen to the King Ted episode. <laughs> yeah, you're going to have to now. 
The Anglo-Irish Treaty creates the 26 counties of the Republic of Ireland in Irish, Poblic Naherin. And that leaves the six counties in the north in the UK to become Northern Ireland, which is known as... In Irish, Tuishkart Erin. That's not quite the end of the violence, though, as the IRA and, to some extent, Sinn Féin, continue fighting at the Northern Irish border for a full and united Ireland until the Good Friday Agreement of 1998. We will talk a little bit more about this part later. But Jesus, that's a lot of shit. Yeah, it's about to get so much worse, dude. Oh, great. Yeah. Oh, that's just wonderful. That's just exactly what I wanted to hear. Right? Just... So the famine we're talking about today is one of the worst ones in Irish history. But the 19th century is literally full of them for the Irish. For this episode, we will refer to this one as the famine with capital letters. But in Ireland, this period, 1845 to 1852, is usually called the Great Hunger, or in Irish, Angortamor, or referring specifically to the year 1847, Andrischkel, which means the bad times. Yes, but... We call it the famine because of, get ready for this? Yes. Colonialism. Mmm. Mmm, just... Mmm. Mmm. Chef's kiss shit. (sighs) In order for it to technically be a famine, it's a crop failure. That is, there's not enough food to feed the people. And even though there was a crop failure, the potato, there was actually plenty of food grown and raised on the island to feed the Irish. It just didn't belong to them. On their own land, by the way. Yeah. Welcome to the British Empire on their absolutiest bullshit. Singing is my thing. How dare you? I know. That was the first time I sang on this podcast. Wow. I'm proud of you. Okay, so get this. In this period, most of the Irish are tenants to land-holding British folk. They pay some rent. Some of them are farmers, but the land isn't theirs, and neither are the products. So most of them grow the easiest, quickest thing to grow in their small lots. That is the potato. I just think they're neat. Yeah. See, the cool thing about potatoes is that they are super nutritionally dense with lots of vitamins and minerals. You can actually live off of them. And that's essentially what the Irish did to this point. There's a fun little saying that comes out of Ireland around this time about how fast potatoes grow. And it's down for Patty, up for Billy. Meaning you can plant the seed for St. Patrick's Day in March and they're ready to eat by the 12th. The Northern Irish celebration of William of Orange in July. So, the potato isn't even native to Ireland. It gets introduced in the late 16th century and isn't that popular at first. But botanists get to work and create the potato, which becomes known as the Irish Lumper. Just an appetizing name. (laughs) It's hardier and Mm. easier to grow. And it doesn't take long for it to become a staple food, especially in rural and impoverished areas. What's so funny? Just so lumpy. (laughs) (laughs) Slumpy space princess. Mm, Just... Lumpy. Yeah, they would pick up the potato, like, oh, what a wonderful potato. And it's like, look at my lumps. My lovely tater mm. lumps. <laughs> uh, oh, I didn't know you wrote for Colbert now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what pays my bills. Unfortunately, potato crops are super prone to disease, called blight. And the one that decimated this crop starts on mainland Europe in 1845. Ireland starts to panic because it's their only fucking food source, and the very appropriately named British PM at the time, and I can't make this up, you guys, his name is Robert Peel. (laughs) Robert Peel. Yeah. Peel. Well, he was British. Peel. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Yeah. Real fast. Jesus, Joseph, and Mary. Yeah. The irony is ripe, unlike the potato. (laughs) Bummer. Anyway, he hears about the blight and his official super terrible response is, and this is a quote, the Irish are prone to exaggerating. 
And Robert Peel is prone to drinking dumb bitch juice. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Super good with a little bit of lime, you guys. Oh, jeez. Yeah, it's a tough look for our guy, Peel. Yeah, but it gets worse. Oh. Yeah. Oh, great. Yay. Lovely. So things start to kick off and people start to die. Reports <laughs> coming out of Ireland are dire. The corn laws in the UK uh. make it difficult to import food from say america where there's tons and robert peel who probably feels pretty fucking bad at this point from earlier starts a program to bring jobs to ireland to help people afford food oh well that doesn't sound too bad actually yeah except he doesn't get reelected. oh shit the guy that replaces him as pm is wig john russell and guess what he's a total fucking dick yeah he's a total dick but he's not even the biggest dick in this game because he brings out a buddy called charles trevelyan to deal with the irish relief efforts and oh boy does this guy make robert peel look like anthropomorphized cotton candy this is a real fucking quote from him as he takes up the post to provide relief to ireland which is his job providing relief to ireland here's the quote the (laughs) i'm not ready for this go for it (laughs) the judgment of god sent the calamity to teach the irish a lesson Jeez, what the fuck, dude? Oh, it's not even done. The real evil with which we have to contend is not the physical evil of the famine, but the moral evil of the selfish, perverse, and turbulent character of the people. What the fuck, though? Yeah. Like, come on, dude. Oh, yeah. It's a super bad look. Like, super villain grade shit. No, 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 no. No, because super villains are goofy to a point. Like, yeah. they have... Okay. They're dramatic and flashing. They're like, no, I expect you to die, Mr. Bone. Like, some dumb bullshit like that, right? This man is just straight up evil. Like, and, like, the worst part, he's, he honestly believes this. Is That's the thing we forget about, like, shit like this. And when we talk about any topics like this, is that these people, are, a lot of these are genuinely evil dudes who are just regular-ass fucking people. And yeah. those are the scariest people. Yay. Yeah, so... So, Ireland... <laughs> So Ireland is starving to death, and everyone in Britain is apparently just cool with it. They're yeah. just like, Irish, never matter. The crops in 1846 failed also, mm. making things real fucking dire. See, by 1847, a British journalist takes a tour through Ireland and reports back not a single house in 500 could boast being free of death and fever. Not or, and. Yeah. Which is just like actual garbage. Not a healthy person in sight yeah but back in merry old london town on the parliament floor our buddy dickhead mcdickheaderson's narrative is really taking hold the british believe that much of the problem is due to the irish themselves being lazy or drunk or both i could quote some of that shit but i'm depressed now and so i'll turn to one of ireland's best most angry historians a man called tim pat coogan to sum things up for us Quote, for the English, the Irish provided the richest, most enduring source of nationalist demonology. Thank you for your fucking service, Mr. Coogan. We fucking stand a king. Hmm. Let's fast forward again. We're in 1847 now. A year so bad that it's usually referred to as its own Black 47. The soup kitchens are overwhelmed trying to feed people, with some of them getting actually the fucking impossible task of feeding 10,000 people. 10,000. 10,000. Britain did not organize or fully support them either, so it's just like a hot-ass mess. Stories around bureaucracy and government red tape at these things are rampant. The other options, if you were a starving Irish family couldn't get access to soup kitchens, were two other very shite choices. Workhouses, which were draconian and rigid, 
The workhouses were meant to be demoralizing and joyless so that no one got too comfortable in their poverty, which is just like a trash Victorian ideology. Man, it's like it still exists. Yeah. So the choice was that, or actual prison, which most preferred to the workhouses, which, let me reiterate, is actual goddamn prison. Wow, no modern-day parallels here. The last option, and this is true and awful, was to wait out your landlord to want to kick you and your family out. Because the landlords really, really wanted to evict their unpaying, starving tenants at this point. Like, they really wanted that land back so they could have people either paying rent or using the property to grow more crops or raise more animals that could be exported to Britain so they could make more money. Again, this has no parallels to the pandemic America at all. Mm -mm. Landlords are great now. There is no war in Bossing City. <laughs> this episode is brought to you by landlords. Landlords. If you don't want to own your own house, but you don't want to be able to fix it either. Oh. So some landlords will pay for their tenants to get passage to America. Oh, that actually sounds kind of nice. Oh, no. No, it isn't. You see, they'd pay just enough for passage in what became known as coffin ships. Okay, aside from sounding cool as hell, mm. sounds not nice. Yeah, not nice. Definitely not nice. The ships were packed in with other sick and starving people. Many of those people died on the sea voyage to America, or, if they lived, they were just dropped off on an American street to die there instead. And since they were dead or dying and communication back to Ireland was difficult, there were absolutely no repercussions to landlords doing this to people. Big yikes. Big yikes. Fun facts with Nash. All told, the Irish lose 20 to 25% of their total population to starvation and immigration. One million people die. And that's sometimes a low estimate, by the way. People died so quickly that they were often buried in mass graves or sometimes even put there before they were officially dead. Oof. Skibbereen in West Cork was one of the worst affected areas and became the site of many mass graves, holding up to 10,000 bodies. But death from the famine isn't even limited to its people. One of the other victims of this humanitarian crisis was Gelcha, the Irish language. Pre-famine times, roughly half of the island were fluent in and used Gelcha in their daily lives. But by 1900, only 15% of Ireland used it. And it has continued to be on the decline. At the 2016 Irish census, only 4.2% of Ireland used Irish on a daily basis. So... Just to sum it up, a million deaths, a bunch of mass graves, about two million immigrations, and a very nearly dead native language. All for colonialism and for-profit governments. Oof, that's... that's a lot, man. So does it surprise you that England officially apologized? Uh, it actually does. It really does. Probably would have been nicer if it was like a year or two after they lost one million of their fucking citizens. Ah, but what or, can you do? When was this again? Uh, he apologized in 1997, so it only took, carry the one, 145 years. 1997? Yeah. 1997? Yeah, yep. You, you're, you're being serious? No, I was 10 years old. Are you, I was younger. Don't, uh, <laughs> don't tell me how old you were. I'll be sad. What the fuck, man? Yeah. God damn it. Yeah. I'm sorry, uh, real quick to the listeners, if I'm just like sounding, reacting, and just kind of blown away you you gotta remember like i am this is legitimately like the first time i'm genuinely learning about a lot of this stuff and it's mind blowing it's pretty hurtful shit yeah 97 so tony blair's letter reads in part 
Those who governed in London at the time failed their people through standing by while a crop failure turned into a massive human tragedy. That one million people died in what was then part of the richest and most powerful nation in the world is something that still causes pain as we reflect on it today. And then Tony Blair said, uh, thank you for your sacrifice. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> Fuck it. Oh. Thanks, Tony. That's great. Hey, Tony. <laughs> I hate the things you do. Yeah, we Hey, do. Tony. Fuck yourself. Just, just fuck you. <laughs> just. Well, let's keep depressing ourselves, because it's time for... Black death, polio, spontaneous combustion. Dying comes in after death, comes decomposition. It may seem sad and also gross, but here you are, and here's your host, not an actual doctor, but it's medical, medical, medical facts with Dr. Angel. So, what happens to you? specifically when you begin to starve. Well, it starts with the last time you ate, technically. The body processes the nutrients, or black therefore, uh, turning it into sugar or energy from the food you ate. After a few hours, you get hungry again, aka hunger pangs. See, your stomach technically stays working. Think of like a motor that just never turns off. Normally when you eat, it's more than enough to keep going, sometimes to the excess, which is why you look like me. But once there's no food, your stomach needs energy to keep moving. Your body does, really, because your brain needs to, to, you know, function. I'm definitely missing spark plugs. That's why I am reading this weird. (laughs) Um, So your body, once it processes everything in your tum-tum, it enters ketosis, turning your fat into energy. It's not necessarily the funnest time. A lot of flu-like symptoms, a lot of lethargic reactions, but very survivable. In fact, some people reach ketosis on purpose for reasons. I like bread, so... (laughs) As do I, Nash. Here's the not fun part. Uh, This happens about a week after, and it can last for weeks. Your body begins autophagia, um, essentially cannibalizing itself, starting with your muscles. So it finishes off the fat, and it moves to your muscles, until it reaches the bare minimum for simple motor functions. And all this happens in order to feed the brain. That's something people don't actually think about, it's your brain that needs the energy, and probably the reason your head hurts is when you don't eat. So your body goes Anthony Hopkins on itself. It fucking yearns for fava beans. And then you die of cannibalism. <laughs> In a kind of fucked up way, yes. So so here's the fun part where your body chooses three different ways to die. Ooh. Mm. Yeah, your body, once it's done eating all your fat and muscles, begins to eat its nervous system. Mm. The most common way to die of starvation isn't actually starvation. It's disease. Uh, A workhouse, for example, is the last place you want to be between tuberculosis and what I can imagine is athlete's foots on steroids because the blight fungus plus stinky feet. Uh, Your body can no longer defend itself and you die. Gnarly to say the least. Mm -hmm. The two ways you actually die from starvation, like if you die of starvation. Uh, First one is morasmus, which is how most people who envision death by starvation uh, is. Morasmus, essentially you've eaten yourself alive. You wither away and die of organ failure, and that, that's it. You just kind of evaporate into the air. The, the next one, which we actually see a lot of in a lot of very, very depressing infomercials, is a quashicor. 
that the image, of course, being that of like a large distended stomach. Uh, your body, see, like due to the lack of uh, protein and other nutrients, and your liver and kidneys, really, they uh, they swell, and you end up dying of cardiac arrest. And not being able to regulate because there's no energy, um, you eventually die of that. That's insane. And all these terrible fates share the following similarities on their symptoms list: loss of hair, emaciation, skin breaking, loss of teeth, diarrhea, and depending on the climate, hypothermia or heat stroke. This was definitely one of the harder medical facts with Dr. Angel. Yeah, sad trumpet noise. Yeah, uh, the worst part being, um, you have to ease into eating again. So you're like starving, and you can't just put something in your mouth. You know that phrase, chomping on the bit? Yeah. It's actually referencing champing on the bit. Champing is to eat without chewing. So that's something that historians would see starving people do. They, they would just essentially swallow just anything to be in their stomach. And the shock of all those nutrients and sugars reaching your body once again, it, the shock of just like, get energy, um, it'll kill you as well. Welcome to the comedy podcast that makes you sad. <laughs> That's being a comedian, baby. <laughs> Ooh. Ooh. Yeah, Janice, I'll need to book like a bunch of extra sessions this week. So mm-hmm, let's keep on mm-hmm. this thread and have some additional facts that aren't fun. So remember how I mentioned the Irish do not call this a famine? Well... That's because of colonialism. The rest well, of the world... A lot of things are because of colonialism, sadly. That's true. But that's one of the reasons. So the rest of the world knows this is the famine because that's what the British called it to sort of absolve themselves of being the major exacerbator of it. And to make matters worse, the UK school curriculum doesn't even teach Irish history. There's been an ongoing movement to decolonize the curriculum a bit, but uh, guys, guys, here we are. And, uh... On that bummer, Ooh. that's the episode. That is that is it. It is not a great ending. And, uh, oof. Re- remember the Tut's penis is still missing. Oh, that's right. Tut's penis still at large. Still we gotta at large. Fuck it. Uh, send any tips to <laughs> McGruff the Crime Dog, Chicago, Illinois, 60652. Take a bite out of crime. Nope, that phrase is uh, insensitive to yeah. people can't eat. Oh, man. Probably also copyrighted. Uh, but thanks so much, everybody, for listening. Remember to subscribe on iTunes and Spotify. I can't believe I'm going straight into plugs. <laughs> hey, guys, ready to be super depressed? <laughs> we didn't end this one on a super strong joke, so uh, here's us laughing like sad people for 20 minutes. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm laughing. Uh, in all seriousness, thanks for listening. Remember to subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also follow us on Instagram and Twitter. I'm at It's Nash Flynn. And I'm at Gorilla Jokes. That's G-U-E-R-R-I-L-L-E Jokes. I'll probably change that at some point. And of course, follow the podcast at Death and Friends Podcast. Yes. And remember, death is a tricky subject, but we are just trying to learn. We're trying to do our best. And remember that you are loved. You matter. And if you don't want to be your own friend, we'll be your friend. By force. And then you can watch my kids. Ah, Jesus Christ. Okay, until next time, Skeleton Army. Love you. (laughs) Love you. (laughs) This has been a Knavery Inc. podcast. Go to knaveryinc.com for more details. Executive produced by Jacob Duffy Halbleib. Audio designed by Dominic Guanzon. The fuck is a knave? Remember, this is a comedy podcast, okay? Don't use it in your research papers. Yeah. And shockingly, well, not really, but... (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, the reading of that was hilarious. Go for it again. Gross. Yes, ye olde nutsack.
Hang on, let me do that again. <laughs> I didn't like the way Zach came off. Came I out have of like my mouth. eight that K's in the words, so. <laughs> Meat. Henry VIII is the English king who's very famous for having this fucking jolly rancher is working against me now. I'm sorry, I got yelled at for eating yogurt <laughs> in a film. Like. No, I got yelled at for drinking yogurt. Oh. It's, it's terrible for your throat. Morbid. In leaving the six county, counties, is it, God, did I say countries the first time? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Why didn't you stop me? I said the word countries. Because <laughs> it was funny because you said countries. <laughs> 26 <laughs> countries of Ireland. I said countries. Oh. <laughs> Bloody countries. Oh. Gross. You're doing good. Just keep going. Okay. Commercial? Together with the IRA in 1922. Like, well, the moment you say 1922, you'd be like, the year is 1922. Sinn Féin is formed. Right. <laughs> and the Republic of Ireland is at war. It's 10 years after Howard Carter and his gay love fest. <laughs> <laughs> it totally is. We just and keep I- making references to fucking Tud. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's not 10 years. I can't remember exactly what year it was. But. Fun? But he's not even the biggest dick in this game because he brings on a buddy he calls. Well, nope. <laughs> I got distracted by the dick jokes, you guys. Sorry. Uh, I was. It didn't help that I was miming different. No, it's good. <clears throat> Fallacious. Um, actually, I'm going to give you that line. You're going to give me the dick? I'm going to give... Um, no, I'm going to give you this part. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's the most rhythm I've ever seen you have in your life. I have none. Like... And what I do have is all on my shoulders, because that's where white people keep it. Yeah, that's it. some white shit. That's yeah, definitely some white we, shit. We keep it in the shoulders. You're like, oh, you need me to seduce you, big boy? <laughs> <laughs> it looks fucking <laughs> weird with my hoodie <laughs> on. <laughs> you look like Jake the dog when you do that. I look like a fucking slice of American cheese. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, boy, you looking for some cheese? I'm a cheese product. Not even fucking... I'm a craft single, baby boy. Mmm. <coughs> mmm. Oh, I'll give you the shits. <laughs> Cover me in mayonnaise. No. Oh! <laughs> 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 Woo! No. 